0: We're gearing up for the fall, um, but so for that, we're going to move into kind of a summer series, kind of wrapping up this summer. We're going to have four weeks in the Proverbs, and so um, we'll be talking about today true knowledge in Proverbs 1 through 7. So, this again, this is a foundational. Uh, part To understand the whole of Proverbs or all of Proverbs, you need these first seven verses to kind of anchor you in the text. And so before we dig into the text, I want us to think about what, what is true knowledge? What is actual knowledge or true knowledge? Is, is it mean to be smart? Um, maybe at school. Maybe some of you were the real good at school. I was like an A-B student. It's like not super smart, but good enough to get by, you know, never too smart there. Skills, is it having certain skills, Um, you know, computer savvy, uh, music skills, this thing, that thing. Is it attaining a certain job? Does that make you smart? Is it having a Ph.D.? Is it being, again, um, there's like the street smart kid and the book smart kid, right? Um, Is it being the person that has common sense that just makes right decisions? Is it being wise in science, maybe math? Maybe giving people counsel, uh, maybe life decisions, money management, relationships, people skills. What what is true knowledge? Well, all these things that we've talked about lead to a sort of wisdom and knowledge of some sort. I want us to think about the starting point of knowledge and wisdom. Um, So first, wisdom and knowledge um, are not necessarily the same thing. They are connected, um, um, but but they are uh, intimately tied together in uh, the book of Proverbs. And we're going to see they're kind of uh, knit together. And knowledge tends to focus on this idea of correct understanding, even how we use the word now. It's like to know something, right? It comes from the, this Greek word of, uh, of knowledge or, 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 or knowing. And so... Um, We even in our English word, again, knowledge tends to focus on the correct understanding of the world and its creatures and um, all the things that are happening. How do you interact with things? And so um, uh, all the things that that are magnificent, loving God created. And so uh, then there's this idea of wisdom and wisdom then is the acquired skill of applying the knowledge rightly, right? You know those people that, that um, are smart, they got a lot of money, they're doing this thing, that thing, but when it comes to Saturday night, they're bucket heads, right? They make those dumb decisions, they do those dumb things. Maybe you've been there. Um, there are, again, wisdom and knowledge, um, or, or again, the, another way to say wisdom is the skill in the art of godly living or applying knowledge. So, but, but before even that, there is somewhere we need to start. Again, there is somewhere we need to start to attain true knowledge. And so we have seen this quest take place uh, over time. Before Jesus' time, we, uh, was specifically with the Greek philosophers, you got Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, who then taught Alexander the Great. And, and they were all um, looking for and, and would agree that there was this, this thing, this kind of like this God. They, they called it. The, the logos which we've been studying in the book of john and so this greek word uh, logos is the word for word there's another word for word called rhema but this greek word logos means word but even more descriptive it's like this reason it's this plan that this this um uh in, in christian christian theology I, I like to call it that the reason behind the logic the reason behind everything the, the metaphysical or what's after the physical so the spiritual things like there's something that, that that started all this and that's the Greek philosophers concluded and many scientists and many philosophers today uh, there are atheists and there are people that don't believe but many people are in this camp and they're like yeah there's something I'm not gonna say it's God I'm not gonna bow down to Jesus but there is something out there it didn't just happen um, by chance and so we can see how this philosophy has changed us again it is this idea of this divine reason, this implicit in the cosmos that was that was ordering it and giving it form and meaning. And so the logos, again, is this reason behind the logic of everything, um, and especially the metaphysical, the things we can't see. And so this concept defined, again, by the term Logos, we see this found in Greek, in Indian, in Egyptian, in Persian philosophical and, and, and theological systems. And again, it became particularly significant in Christians' writings as, as the Apostle John starts his gospel with this, this idea, of, with this uh, saying Jesus is the Logos. It says the Logos has begin, been with us from the beginning. It's in the, in, in, and so with this idea, we, we, again, we've been learning in the Gospel of John um, that that God is the again the one who is active in creation, and we see that that is actually Jesus Christ, and that He um, gives the structure to the cosmos, and, and He reveals His divine plan, specifically the salvation of man. And so then this logos underlines the basic Christian doctrine of the, the pre-existent Jesus, that Jesus is this foundation, and you see from from the beginning of Humanity that humanity we in a sense have been uh, seeking for this true knowledge And again that brings us to our text today in Proverbs 1 1 through 7 where we are going um, To see that our text will teach us that true knowledge has a source true knowledge has wisdom Instruction and an audience which leads to the fear of the Lord. So let's read Uh, together um, uh, our text today in Proverbs 1-7. through If you have a Bible, open it. If you have a device, turn it on. Now, I I would encourage you to have your eyes in looking at the text with me as we talk and your heart open to the Lord as he kind of reveals what this means to us today. And so it starts, Proverbs 1-1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. Again, today we're going to see that our text will teach us that true knowledge has a source, wisdom, instruction, and an audience which leads to the fear of the Lord. And remember again, humanity has since the beginning of time been asking this question, like, what is true knowledge? We see this kind of in us, Um, and, and we make up idols and a bunch of things that are not sourced in true knowledge. But that's the point. God wants us to fear him. He says that's the beginning. That's the starting point. So the main point of the whole book of Proverbs comes again from these seven verses. They serve as this anchor thesis for the whole book. And so let's look at our first point today and and we're going to see that true knowledge has a source. So look at verse one. It says the Proverbs. Okay. These are Proverbs are wise sayings. I'll talk more about them in a second. But it says these wise sayings of Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. We see there, the son of David, king of Israel. And so there is this source that was coming from these human writers. But even more than that, we know that these proverbs are words of wisdom from God. And so, again, what is a proverb? A proverb is a wise saying. That's a simply way to say it. It is a maxim. We say these uh, axiom or aphorism. There's these kind of uh, uh, way fancy ways or smart ways of saying little statements In in another way, they're just little statements of wisdom. So uh, the Proverbs are not necessarily um, uh, guaranteed 100% precise if you apply them. Now, um, some people may think that. uh, I I used to even think that, like, that if if, these Proverbs are 100% true for everybody, but we see in Scripture that there are exceptions. And so this does not mean that the Bible is wrong, but this is the genre of Scripture that we are reading. You see, um, again, it's not that the context, it's, you see, it, that, it, it's not the context uh, of Proverbs in the Bible that, um, that they're supposed to be 100% accurate. That's not, what the, that, that's not what the scriptures are saying. Now, again, there are generally wise statements that are generally true, but many Proverbs have exceptions and are contextual. There's a proverb 26, 5, and 6. Uh, 5 says, uh, speak to a fool. Twenty-six. The next verse says, don't speak to a fool. So is it being contradictory? No, it's being wise. That's the point. This is wisdom literature. It's poetry. And so this shows that the the Bible is to be read in its proper context, in its proper literary form. And and again, the the Proverbs are wisdom literature and should be taken as so, as general truths and not eternal truths unless stated otherwise in Scripture. So, okay, a pastor I know says it this way. Um, Again, they are wisdom statements that are generally true. So, like if a person could sit on a park bench— and observe humanity for over a thousand years and see the wisdom of the Proverbs applied by humanity, they would see that yes, there are exceptions to certain proverbs. Like it doesn't happen all the time. But generally, more probably like 90% of the time, if the wisdom of a certain proverb is applied, the proverb is true. Like that will happen. So, an example, and there's many examples. This is one that parents get hung up with. Uh, uh, the train up a child, Proverbs 226, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So no parent can train up their child perfectly, right? So it seems like, well, if they're really abiding in Jesus and doing it perfectly, maybe the. But there's other there's a lot of other exceptions um, in the scriptures. But this is this is a good one. Um, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this is not always true. Um, I, I, I've seen godly people that raise their children and the children. Turn away, right? And so, because um, parents, you can't save your child, right? You can't. You can train them up in the way, and generally, what it's saying, they're not going to depart. They're going to come back to the way that they were taught. It's not necessarily talking to even about salvation. It's saying, if you taught your 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 child to be a good citizen, they will generally come back and be a good citizen. So, again. Uh, the intro to the book of, the, of Proverbs is this anchor to understand these truths, that true knowledge has a source in God by revealing the written word, which leads us to Jesus, the living word, and, and the gospel, the proclaimed word. And so we see this knowledge and wisdom come from God. The source is God, and he uses humans to give us this wisdom. And so I, I want us to, th- to hear another perspective on, on wisdom. Um, this is Paul. And he kind of says something that seems contradictory to what the Proverbs are saying, but, but it, it's not. It all goes together. Again, the, the, the people of the Bible were philosophers. A lot of times as Americans, we're not philosophers. We're just black and white, and the Bible is very philosophical. It's making us think, like, oh, I get it. So looking to, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Paul says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The Proverbs would say, don't be a fool, right? But listen to how Paul says it. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's humbling of us. If you're a child of God, you're a weak thing. You are are not a strong thing. God chose the lowly things of this world and to despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. You're like, is he talking about things? He's talking about people, too. God used the, 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 even, even the nation of Israel, it's a small, insignificant nation throughout history that no one cared about. He used that small little nation to still be kicking and still, um, uh, I, th- I know God has a plan for them. And, 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 and historically, you've seen Israel just be, um, be taken over and taken over and taken over and, and, and sin and mess up just like we do. And so that Paul says, why? Why? to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before God. He said, it is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. And he says, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this is the point. He's saying, boast in the Lord. And so we know that the source of the true knowledge of God as revealed in the written word, the living word, Jesus, and the proclaimed word, the gospel, show us our second point, which is that true knowledge has this wisdom. But where is this wisdom found? We just read, it's found in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. But what happens here, if we're honest? We think wisdom comes from other sources. We think wisdom is found in knowing ourselves. And, and, and the, the wisdom and, and the ways of the rest of humanity are the way that we find this wisdom. Just look at human history and look at our current state today. Nothing's changed. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new over the sun. And so for years, cultures and our culture today has told us and, and our culture today tells us that humanity in themselves, that we are good enough and that we can get better and that we are actually getting better there's all these things before world war one and world war two that the world was getting better christians thought this and that that the millennial reign was coming and yes and then what happens world war one world war two and then all the different like uh dispensational theology of like the end times and that some there there's there's some truth in some of that but people ran away with that, and then they, they went to the other side of like, well, doom and gloom, everything's, uh, everything will end, everything's horrible. Why? Because we were missing the point. Jesus is the point. If he comes today or if he comes tomorrow. Our culture tells us and has been telling us for years, and people still think this that we are, that that, that we can, as humanities, we don't need God. We're gonna get better. We, we, all we have to do is be politically correct and stop saying the things and, and, and control ourselves and hold our little tongues, but we can't. We just can't. We've told ourselves that we can achieve this glorious utopian state, and where is it? And many philosophers have said in the past that God was archaic and that humanity itself would rid itself of wars and murder and evil without God. They thought they could do it. They thought they could do it in their power, but it's all still here. War, murder, evil, sin, brokenness, all kinds, right? Stuff that, that was was gone in the past comes back again. And, and, and our culture has turned um, further away from God in, in sexuality, in purity, and in the created order, we see this as a big thing in our culture today. Because we want to write a better story than God. We think we are the source of true knowledge and wisdom. You see, God has been telling this beautiful story, this gospel story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration from the beginning. And it's tied to our second point, that true knowledge has wisdom. And his name is Jesus, and it's found in his gospel. Listen to the importance of wisdom now in verses 2 and 6. So what we're going to do is kind of pull out one of these points as we look at the verses 2 and 6 and and 7 in some context. Listen to the importance of wisdom. Kind of hear every time it talks about wisdom, starting with verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive in wise dealing. It's attached to the word wisdom. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Look at verse 5. Let the wise hear. And increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. And then it says, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. You see, the wisdom Jesus gives, it shows us the gospel. This true story of history of God and man and all that he created um, from the beginning. We see God created everything, and it was good. And he told Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree of the knowledge hmm, of good and evil. Again, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see that it was in the garden from the beginning. And Satan deceived Adam and Eve as they fell for his lie and allowed sin to enter the world. You see, God told them that if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die. And so Adam and Eve, they, they had this form of innocence and freedom before they followed Satan, who then locked him up in chains and, and then allowed sin to enter the world through Adam and Eve, that would then pass on to all of us. Listen to um, to Genesis three five. Satan says, "For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing knowing good and evil." Satan, he may be evil, but he's actually smarter than us. He knows a lot. He probably knows the whole Bible memorized. He knows all history. And he knows how to trick us, and he even he knows how to trick them, and he did. He, he's saying the truth. We're going to see later in Genesis that that is technically true what Satan says. It's a half-truth because um, the heart of it is wrong. You see, Satan does as he often does and gives some truth but not the whole truth. And Satan revealed that, that um, he revealed some knowledge of the true triune God. <laughs> he actually says something truth. He says, and so we see later in Genesis 3-2, uh, um uh uh, god says and confirms what satan just said behold the man has become like one of us the triune god says behold because man sinned they have become like one of us knowing good and evil so this thing of knowledge is from the beginning but adam and eve like we often do what was their issue they wanted glory they wanted to be like god without god they wanted the kingdom of god This utopian, it's what our culture wants, this utopian, beautiful uh, kingdom of God, but they don't want the king. You can't, it doesn't work that way. Adam and Eve, like we often do, forgot the consequences of sin. God was showing them, hey, there's consequences. We don't know all the details of why they couldn't eat of that, other than that they would surely die. But we don't realize that there are consequences in that with our sin, just like Adam and Eve, we've offended a holy God. God said in Genesis 2, 16, 17, before Satan had deceived them, God told them what to do. He gave them the true knowledge. He said, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, the man mean, meaning Adam or man, the same word in um, the Bible, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day. That you eat of it, you shall surely die. God knew that they would fall. And so this sin did not caught uh, God, you know, it didn't catch him by surprise. The fall of man did not catch God by surprise. You see, our sin against God allowed sin and and, and death to enter the world, which would be, be, it is part of God's plan. Which caused this chasm between us and God that demands a, 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 a sacrifice. It demanded redemption for us to be bought back by Jesus, the Messiah, this one who is the wisdom. God wanted us to see our sin and brokenness and a need for a Savior to redeem us. And this leads to the redemption of Christ. It's it's Jesus, the one who came, the perfect one, who lived a perfect life, the only perfect one. It was a perfect baby, a perfect teenager. I can't imagine He didn't get mad at his siblings. He did all the right things, and people said, man, you're still wrong. And he took it, and then he went to a cross, and he was murdered. And he took on, he wasn't just physically dead on a cross. Yes, that happened. Many people died on a Roman cross, but he took on the wrath or the anger of God. The theological term is that, that Jesus uh, propitiated our sin, meaning that he appeased the wrath or the anger of God. This would be something that would happen in the Greco-Roman culture when uh, maybe you've heard of the god uh, Poseidon of the sea, this Greek, Greco-Roman, it's Greek god. And what would happen is Poseidon would be in the sea, and they, uh, they would think Poseidon is over the sea and controlling the sea, and they would be on a boat, and they would say, the Greek people would say, stop, so we need we need like kind of like in the book of Jonah and they would cry out to Poseidon. And they said, let's make a sacrifice. Let's give something to Poseidon, kill something, throw something overboard. And then what would happen is uh, sometimes the sea would go away <laughs> and they're like, oh, we've appeased the wrath of Poseidon. OK, most of that was happenstance or demonic. The point is, that's what the sacrifice of Jesus actually did. God has wrath and anger. But it's perfect. It's the most perfect wrath, just like you and I have wrath and anger, right? If someone hurts your child or your spouse or someone, you can have righteous anger. The problem with us is it, it quickly becomes unrighteous anger. But God is just, and he is perfect, and that's what Christ did. He came on the cross, and just imagine him taking. He knows all the true knowledge. He knows everything, and he still, he be, like uh, uh, Corinthians says, 2 Corinthians says, that he became sin for us. Who, he, he became sin for us. The one who knew no sin became sin. He took on the wrath of God, and he propitiated um, the the wrath of God, and, and, and he became the sacrifice that then gives us redemption. It gives us freedom. It gives us the ability now to know this king. And so he then could atone or cover us. It's going all the way back to the Old Testament. He could cover our sin and his death, his burial, and then his resurrection and his ascension. He now gives us a response as humanity to repent and believe. Yes, initially, but for the rest of our lives, that we would walk in repentance and belief and that we would turn away from Satan and Satan's kingdom and turn to God in belief and turn to the kingdom of God. And believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power that we would be ones who fear the Lord. You see, this is true wisdom. Which will bring us to the end of the gospel story one day when all the pain and all the things you think God is not just. God will come. There will be a day. And there will be no more tears and no more pain. And he will set it right. He will set it right. He's going to renew the whole world. He's going to make all things new. And us as his children, if you know him, he will bring about this glorious future. We he will judge and, and, and judge the world of sin and evil, and God's gonna purge the world of sin and evil, and he's gonna usher in this righteousness and peace, guys, where we're gonna see every moment the glory of God. What a glorious day that will be. You see, true wisdom allows us to see that gospel story. Not the stories we want to write, but the story that God has written, the actual history of of humanity in us and so again our second point stated that true knowledge has wisdom and it's found in jesus and his gospel which leads us to our third point today that true knowledge has instruction or discipline we don't really like this part there is a form or application in how true knowledge comes about which is just helpful way to live so look at verses two and six again with me and see the instruction that is to be heeded and applied which actually, and again, instruction can be translated discipline based on the gospel. So we see these characteristics of, again, true knowledge and wisdom. It says, to know wisdom and instruction. Instruction, and when you get instruction, you do what? You do it. And when you do instruction, that is discipline. Those are little things that you do every day. So let me have a quick example. If I say, hey, y'all, let's go to the gym today, all of us, after church. Let's go for three days straight. Let's go hit it hard nine hour. hours a day, right? What's going to happen in three days? We're going to be like, oh, gosh, I'm so tired. I'm hurting. And we, are we going to look that different in three days? No. We're going to be like, ah, it's not worth it. I want my Oreos. I want some ice cream. I just want to eat good you know, food. And, we're gonna, and, and usually we're going to quit, right? That's what people do with discipline, right? It's like New Year's resolution. Yay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save more money. I'm going to do all these things. And what happens? You do it intensely for like a week, and then you're like, oh, it's too much. I bow out. Why? What is discipline? That's what it's saying here. To receive this instruction, to understand the words of insight, to receive instruction, again, discipline and wise dealing. Like, we need God. The reason we can't do those things is because we often, oftentimes try to do those things in our own strength. We don't realize with our work, we're like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. No, nobody's busy. No, we just make it. COVID proved nobody's busy. It's a lie. Yes, we're busy, we can do things, but we just make up. Just like we make businesses, you make churches, you... We, we do everything we do we're making stuff up and, and we're so busy when someone says they're busy that means they're undisciplined oftentimes yes we all get busy but oftentimes i'm busy i'm busy it just means you're undisciplined thank you for revealing what you are okay wake up earlier i, I promise i heard this uh yesterday on uh, a facebook thing me and candace were laughing this young lady said she had i forget what it was called it was a syndrome it was like late syndrome what she said she could not wake up on time, and she was complaining about it. I don't know how to wake up on time, and she was complaining about that. Well, what is she saying? And then this other girl was responding with, like, how undisciplined she was and get an alarm clock. That's not an excuse. That's what our culture is doing. Everything's an excuse. And God has given us wisdom, and, and we need him to be the one. Yes, I get it. I used to be that guy, too. I didn't like waking up. I was, I was late to stuff. God can give you the, the ability to understand uh, discipline or instruction. Instruction is the receiving of discipline, and discipline is the actually applying it and doing it. So, so he says in verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, in equity. We want these good things, but we don't want to be disciplined. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's a good uh, old hymn. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, says let the wise hear and increase in learning how how do you increase in learning by listening and by doing discipline like you can say all day yeah you're an athlete or you're this or you're or 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 that you love your wife but if you're not disciplined in loving your family and loving your kids and going to work and actually not just saving money investing money and doing all these things you can say i play for the cowboys all day but if you don't play for the cowboys then you're a liar does that make sense we we do that to ourselves and this is not to condemn you; it's to liberate you. That you would live in freedom of the gospel in this wisdom. Like I, I, I try, and, and I think we can actually pray. Like Lord, let me work faster. Make when I am doing my sermon or doing church work or doing whatever, or doing stuff with my kids. I, my, I'm dumb. Help my brain fire faster, where I am actually efficient in work. And yes, we need to sit and rest and do those things. But I, I, I feel like the Lord can do that in you you don't have to be anxious you don't have to be running around with a chicken with their head cut off jesus um i think was probably the busiest person of all time spiritually he had the spiritual weight that we don't understand and he was out doing stuff he would take time and rest doesn't mean separating from the community of god he would do things and rest his mind so that when he came back he could knock it out and he worked hard discipline is such an important say. I, I would say the main discipline that Jesus is te- really calls us to is this abiding in Jesus. More than anything else, is, and, and verse 7 says, to the one who understands and obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. There's a lot there, but we see that there is the discipline of receiving, of hearing, this increasing in learning and understanding. So if we are getting bad inputs all the time, listening to the things of the world, watching TV all the time, doing all these things, the TikToks and the whatever, the uh, Twitters and the Instagram and comparing ourselves with other people, bad inputs, bad inputs, bad inputs. You're not hearing the discipline or receiving. You don't even have an opportunity to to hear, receive the words of God. If you're not in the scriptures, I would say daily, thinking of the word of the Lord, all, uh, all the time is what it says. We should be meditating on his word daily. You're not gonna make it you still may be saved, but life is going to stink. Life is going to be hard. But God gives us hope and help. It's how we abide in the gospels, guys, by, he, by this, again, the, the discipline of receiving, uh, specifically of hearing, of increasing in learning and understanding. I know many people, they just, like, get out of college and, like, oh, I'm done. I just want to go work my job, and I'm not going to grow anymore. Like, what a horrible way to live. We should all be learners the rest of your life. Learn a new skill. Go do something different. Learn, because that wisdom, there's, there's a thing in, in philosophy that's like there's different schemas, okay? So schemas are different knowledges. I know music, theology, engineering, rocket science. I've been mountain climbing. I played basketball. And there's all these wisdoms, right? What most people think, and it's true, we're going to all have certain lanes where we're good at. I, I think my main thing is like theology, languages, and music. And so those are the things I focused on. But there's other things I've learned, a little business here, a little um, math here. And I played sports. I was in the military. So all these different wisdoms, then if you are abiding in Jesus, actually come together and they connect. So when schemas get connected, you are actually a a much wiser person. Um, You can enter and do a job that you have no clue about and actually execute it. Because all these other wisdoms are speaking into that, that, that new thing that you're now entering. And that's kind of how it, I, I think the, the, the Lord can do it with all your life experience, all your brokenness, all the pain that you've been through, right? All the stuff you're like, I don't want to think about that anymore. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I gave you that to steward. It's another schema of, of wisdom and knowledge that you've been through that the Lord can now redeem and then use in a new way. It's how we abide in the gospel of Jesus is being humble and saying, God, I need to live in you and live in me. That's what abiding means. You see, our third uh, a point teaches now that true knowledge has instruction. It has this discipline. And there is a form or an application in how this true knowledge comes about, which helps us actually live. And, and so as we see the instruction that is to be heeded or to be done and applied... Um, we see that it is based on this discipline of the gospel. Just another way of saying, which to summarize, this main discipline is just to abide in Jesus. I, I try to tell people that over and over. Like, it, it's, there's, no, there's nothing new under the sun. I, I, I counsel people sometimes. they okay, come, man, I'm going through this thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I abide in Jesus. Like, there's no secret sauce. There are practical things to do, yes. But this, like the beginning of knowledge, you want to fix your problems they may not go away but you want to get through those problems you have to abide there's no other way we can't forget it and so to again we must be ones who abide in jesus which leads us to our fourth point today that that true knowledge has an audience okay like duh it has an audience of course so remember we define true knowledge simply as wisdom applied right And so we can uh, apply it wrong when we don't understand wisdom's audience. So read with me again in the text and see the audience. See if you can see the audience. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, no audience. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, no audience yet. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. Hmm, the simple. Ever been one of those? Audience, okay. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Ever been a youth? Okay. Let the wise hear, oh, let the wise hear. So there's, we're seeing some categories now. Uh, and increase in learning in the one who understands. So these people that are wise, these people who understand, they're these simple, they're these youth. Okay, To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, you see the words of the wise, these people, then the fear of the Lord. Hmm. That's, a, that's a strong character in this or person in here. The fear of uh, of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, listen to this, how it ends. Fools, another another audience there. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and hear it this way, discipline. Fools don't want to, they don't want to get up early. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to do the things that they have to do. because, Because what happens, God gives you and can give you supernatural ability to do those things, to abide. And not just to be busy. I have five kids, um, we've, we've planted a church in COVID, um, I'm going to be doing some, I, I, I did some Bible stuff when we did the building, I'm going to be doing some of that, and, and working kind of as a, a, a construction supervisor, like, and I have plenty of time, you call me, my brother-in-law called me yesterday, he said, hey, what are we doing as a family, nothing, we just went and ate with them, discipline, it's not to boast on me, it's the Lord, it's, our household is crazy sometimes, the kids are doing things, but you have to walk in the ways of the Lord. And he will give you wisdom. He will give you steadfastness. He will give you time and space to breathe and to live. That's, that's what happens when you're young. You're learning those things. You can learn those things now. And so, to summarize, we see there, there are two, two main characters the wise or the fool. And so, the, the, the question is which will you be? Will you be the wise or the fool? Will you be the person running around like a chicken with their head cut off, and they're undisciplined, and I'm so busy, I'm doing this thing, and COVID proved, no, you're just running in a room doing your own thing. Don't even need you to go to work. (laughs) Yeah, your job's not important. We're shutting that down. I think it was a really humbling time for the church and for us. Will you be wise or you'll be a fool? Proverbs 2130, we've been reading this as a family this week, and we start every morning with uh, uh, the word of God. And it says this, and it hit me as, oh, I'm preaching on that. This No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail or succeed against God. No matter what we bring to the table, it can't, it, can't, it can't succeed. It can't go over what God has done. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. God is the ultimate source of knowledge and wisdom. And so in the Proverbs, the wise is who you want to be. Because if you are growing in this discipline of receiving and hearing, increasing and learning and understanding, then it's not always the case. God might say, for, for you to live as, uh, we all should say, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. He may call you to die. World War III may happen. And we may have to really step it up. And well, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, a, bit, a, lot, a lot of people may bow out. I say, Holy Spirit, sustain us. And make us a people that really walk in the fear of the Lord. We don't know. Borders changed in 1990. The USSR went away. We don't know what's happening, what's going to happen in the future. We don't have to live in fear. It's the opposite. We live in the fear of who? The Lord. That's the problem is we we have so much anxiety and this and that. And I'm not saying some of that's real. I get it. I've been through spiritual warfare. The enemy wants to seek, kill, and destroy you. He wants to do that to our church. He wants to do that. To, to church leaders, he does. And he comes not just with the external stuff, internal stuff. That's where this is. That's how you combat it. How do you combat the darkness of Satan? You have to have the fear of the Lord. Again, in the Proverbs, we see the wise is the one who's growing in discipline and, and receiving and hearing and learning and understanding. And the fool is the one who does not do the things we just mentioned above, but rather is Proud and does not take advice or counsel, just doing it on their own. And so I don't, I don't care how smart I am, think I am, or how smart we think we are. If you think that other worldly types of wisdom, and it's such so in the church, or other knowledge will sustain you, Enneagram, this gram, this test, this, pe- no, th- I'm not saying that stuff's not helpful. But man, we put so much stake in the words of, of other people. And other systems. Guys, if we're if we're following those things we're we're deceived like Adam and Eve. They had or they had, oh, I want to be like God, ah, cool. They wanted uh, gold, but they didn't want to do the work that it took to get there. They didn't understand the work that was done for them in Christ. And and again that false knowledge will actually separate you from God and it's actually idolatry, which will kill you. Remember, it will surely you will surely die if you follow the the, the This knowledge without God that was what Adam and Eve did at the beginning and if we don't see our sin as a problem if we don't see that we need this true knowledge that Jesus is the one who actually redeems us and sustains us day to day then we are just little fools and honestly we're all fools without Christ you see you miss the point of it all you'll miss the point of life if you don't see the foolishness in yourself now you don't identify in that right that's not who you are as a child of god but before uh, being a child of god or as you the flesh comes and tempts you you're a fool the fool is still in you that's why we need christ every moment of every day because that fool likes to come out right he likes to show out he likes to take over and you'll miss the whole point of life if you don't see the words of paul as we mentioned god wants us to come to him first remember that's where true knowledge starts to come to his son. And then what Paul says of being foolish to the world makes sense. We're not fools to God. We're fools to the world. They're like, they're, they're weird. They're dumb. I don't, they don't make sense. They're such fools. But listen to this again. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Should encourage you. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. And it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus because of the Father's plan, this true knowledge who has become for us a wisdom from God that is our righteousness. It's your justice. It's your holiness and redemption that we find in Christ. Therefore, as it is written, guys, let's walk as ones who don't boast but only boast in the Lord. You see, what Paul in our first seven verses in Proverbs show us, our final point today, and we'll end here, that true knowledge has the fear of the Lord. If you are true, have this true knowledge, you actually have the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the starting point of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the beginning and end of knowledge, it starts with God and it ends with God. And so think with me, do you despise wisdom? Maybe you're lazy, maybe you just think you're too smart, maybe the enemy comes or your own flesh and tells you lies about God and his church. Do you despise wisdom and instruction or do you love it? Because you know the true God. If you love God and his true knowledge and wisdom, this would imply that you are okay with being corrected. You're okay with being told no, you're wrong. Nobody well, likes to hear that, that you're okay and told that you need to do better sometimes. Hopefully those things are said gently and loving, but we need to be okay. Uh, or hearing, again, the words, you are wrong. It implies, if, you're, if you have true knowledge, uh, that, you are, that you have the fear of the Lord, not, not only being humble before other humans, but we should be, but honestly, can we honestly come to God in humility and brokenness? When we sin, can you fear the Lord, which is a synonym for loving God? We're gonna sing this here in a bit. That we love the Lord—it's a great commandment. Ding, ding, ding. It just—that's what it is. It's another way of saying it. It's another perspective in trying and tying wisdom and application and discipline. How do you love God if He really loved you first and you're really saved? You will do what He said. You will be obedient to His commandments. It's the, this is just a great commandment. You see. Fearing God, loving God, revering God is another way we say it. With everything you have, that's what it means to be a God of fear. That's how Jews describe themselves, actually how Muslims describe themselves. I fear God. They say sometimes speak better than Christians. Because we don't rock around, I fear God. Like, yeah, Jesus, yay. And I think, I don't know, there's a weirdness there sometimes. There's a lack of respect in who the holy God is. We must see how awesome how powerful how wonderful how transcendent that the father really is and then through christ we see his imminence, his closeness we see the holy spirit's power and we see the, the the humanity of jesus christ and his deity and then we we understand that the holy spirit is living inside us and gives us that power and that ability to really fear god you see fools are proud and think of their own knowledge they think that will suffice and maybe you've been a fool, like the proverb says. The truth is, again, we're all utterly, utterly hopeless and foolish without Christ. As we learn today, true knowledge has a source it has wisdom and instruction or discipline and an, an, an audience. And they all lead to, f- to the fear of the Lord. Another way of saying that, kind of seeing the structure, but kind of wrap true knowledge is to fear God. By intimately knowing Christ, and the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. So one more challenge and encouragement. Do you fear the Lord? Or are you paralyzed by the decisions you have made in the past or are making now? Maybe you live in fear of everything else except God. John 1 tells us that perfect love of God casts out fear. You can say the fear of God casts out the fear of the world. What a freeing way to live. Live freely. We're supposed to fear the Lord and not anything else. It's all over Proverbs and the Bible. Solomon, the author who had a lot of wisdom, who wrote most of the Proverbs, he failed gravely at the end of his life. But we think too that he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. In, in, in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, to sum up the whole book of Ecclesiastes, as he deals with the vanity of life, he says the conclusion. When all has been heard is to fear God and keep his commandments. Hmm, sounds like Jesus. The, what is the first commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. He says, because this applies to every person. Again, I mentioned that fearing God is a synonym to loving God, which is what the greatest commandment tells us is our main purpose in life. We can't forget that, that fearing God is synonymous with knowing God. And we see that in the Old Testament. This idea to love God, to fear God, or to know God, again, are all synonyms. And some people think that's only Old Testament talk. But listen to Paul in Ephesians 5.21. He says, and be subject to one another as the church in the fear of Christ. Huh. So we see the idea in Ephesians of the fear of Christ. So how do we fear God in Christ? By knowing him, by loving him, by being obedient to him. We see this in John. This is eternal life, that you may know Sorry, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We see um, this true knowledge. We see this true wisdom. David says this in the Psalms. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought. You do not let me wander from your commandments. Commandments and fear of God are always connected. Your word I have treasured. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not legalism. It's loving God correctly. If you fear God, you will do his commandments. The commandments don't save you, but they're proof that you're actually saved. It says, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statues. Teach me your commandments, David says. To fear God is to do the Father's commandments through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, of, uh, the Holy spirit in your life. So we must love God and his word truly to fear him. How do we learn about God's word? Yes, through the spirit living in us, but through the written word that he's left us. John, uh, 1 John 2, 3, 6 says it this way, of knowing God and his commandments. By this we know that we have come to know him. How do you know that you know God? If you keep his commandments. It's the proof. The one who says, I, 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 can't, I have come to know him and, and does not keep his commandments, John says, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You don't have the knowledge or fear of God if you practice sin. John will say that. He says, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him, I'm not saying this, God's saying this, ought to walk himself in the same manner as he, Jesus, walked. That's a high call, right? Holiness. The Bible says you are holy. You are royal priesthood. You're saints. So do you love the triune God? Do you walk like Jesus in true knowledge and, and in this wisdom that is found in him? Do you fear him because you know what his written word says, and do you know what the proclaimed word, the gospel, is all about? I'm going a little long, but I'm, I'm going I'm to wrap it up here. Ecclesiastes 8, 12 through 13 says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Again, the exceptions in wisdom, right? That's what he's saying. Man, a sinner does evil a hundred times, yet their life is long, yet I know that it will be well. We're going to sing this song in a second. With those who fear God. Don't worry about how the rich are prospering or or the evil are prospering. Because they, uh, it says, but it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So we see kind of the two sides there. Seems like the evil is succeeding, but God says, I got it. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. And then we look at verses 16 and 17. In the same part of Ecclesiastes, he says, yeah, Solomon says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom, he applied it to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. There's so much going on. He says, however, much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. There's so many things to seek and to know and to learn. And God says, have true knowledge. Another way in Deuteronomy 29, 20 says, we can try to know everything and try to figure out the secret things of God. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, speaking of this true knowledge, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do. All the words of this law. Again, obedience is rooted in the commandments of God. I don't think we like to hear that in the church. We're like, we talk about grace and God saved me and all that. Yes, of course. But if you're his child, you will heed this true knowledge. You will have true discipline and instruction in your life. You're going to mess up. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's saying that you're going to be perfect. But you should be being perfected. That's the beauty of the gospel. Actually, what is that showing? You're weaker and weaker than you thought. You're like John says, man, I decrease so that he might increase. And as you do that, it's like this reverse tr- tornado of repenting and believing. And as you grow, this is sanctification. You'll see your rings will be bigger. You'll feel you. You'll know your sin more. You'll feel it more, and you'll have this joy of the Lord in, in belief. And then you'll repent. And, believe, and That's how life is. And you'll keep doing that. And people will see, man, that person has big rings. They're a man or a woman of God. But you see what God has done in you through the power of the Spirit, you see the brokenness that you have, and then you also are able to have joy. That's what it means to follow Christ. Remember, the true knowledge is to fear God by intimately knowing Christ and the gospel and the power of the Spirit. So let's pray.